Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Bite Sized Virtue. This is episode three of season 10. And once again, what I thought was going to be the episode is, in fact, not going to be the subject of the episode. Okay, so I thought at some point that I would get around to talking around about the virtue of sacrifice, because way back in episode one, I identified that as one of two virtues that, to my mind at least, kind of seem to be of particular relevance in this odd time we find ourselves in with the ongoing coronavirus pandemic and periods of lockdown and social isolation. Um, and I mean, in some places, of course, now we're starting to see reopenings. My home province of Alberta, for example, has had made has made its first gradual steps into bringing things back to normal a few places are able to open up again golf courses and some restaurants and a few other places like that with restrictions still in place i'm obviously looking forward to the time when uh, churches reopen as well um, but that has not yet gone ahead we continue my family continues to take part in mass only online and uh, though i dearly miss actually being able to go to mass and to receive the sacrament there um you know what this this is the time we find ourselves in and fine we talked about that in the last episode too it's just you know having that humility to do what's necessary not just for yourself but for others and like I say, initially I kind of wanted to pivot towards sacrifice and talk about some of the things that we have had to give up during this odd time. But then I listened, I, <laughs> I had to actually, my, my work has also started to uh, resume somewhat in the sense of, you know, I mean, I was working from home anyways on just internal tasks, but now I'm actually going back to client sites. I've had a couple of trips I've had to make over the last little while. And... That gave me the opportunity to, well, spend a lot of time driving, which meant I had a lot of time to catch up on my incredible backlog of podcasts, which dates back to literally about this time last year with uh, some of the podcasts that I try and follow. And one of those is, it's a Catholic podcast. It's called Pints with Aquinas. And as you might guess, it uh, deals almost exclusively with Thomistic theology, except for this one episode that I wound up listening to while I was driving. And... This was actually a talk given by a nun, Sister uh, Mary Madeline Todd, on the subject of Catherine of Siena, great saint, one of the doctors of the Catholic Church, and kind of an interesting example. Because, and I mean, like, let's just frame how cool Catherine was, because she she herself was not uh, a nun. She was like a third order Carmelite. She was essentially a, a, a lay person. Um, but she, you know, in her capacity as just, you know, a regular person devoted her whole life to serving the poor, to prayer, to helping the sick. Um, even against like, you know, the objections, the initial objections of her family until her dad kind of went to bat for her and said, you know, no, I think this might actually be like her thing. So let's just let her pursue it. She lived in the 1300s, not exactly a time when we think of women as having particularly high status in society. But Catherine, if you look into her history, you know, was able to, and I mean, like, she was able to look at the church in her day and realize that there was a ton of corruption going on. 
And she took it upon herself to basically persuade the Pope to deal with the problem, to, to address it, to make reforms. But again, just think about this, you know, 1376, she writes a letter to the Pope exhorting him to take action on the manifest problems and evils that she, a layperson, can easily perceive in the church around her. We don't normally think of women in the 1300s as a, having the status or, or, or B, you know, just being able not only to do this, to actually, you know, communicate with a powerful religion, political figure in the day of their day, um, but then also actually have that person act on what they say. And that's how cool St. Catherine was. But what struck me in the talk that uh, Sister Mary Madeline gave was that St. Catherine's approach was steeped in humility, and she was addressing a very serious problem, and she was communicating to very powerful people about this very serious problem, but her approach was very, very interesting and very, very unique, and it got me thinking, actually, about how about a lot of stuff that I've been seeing circulating on social media the last few weeks. The, the great debate about like wearing a mask as a response to this pandemic. And I mean, you know, there, there's definitely been some wishy-washiness in terms of, you know, uh, the, the World Health Organization or local health organizations um, publishing requirements, you know, like, okay, should you be wearing a mask? Yes, you should. No, they don't do anything. Okay. Yes, you should. Like there, there, there's been, if you go back, <laughs> if you go back over the last few weeks, the last couple of months, um, you'll see headlines to this effect, you know, oh yeah, no, we should all be wearing masks. Oh, but wait, no, maybe masks don't do that much, but you know what? Let's wear them anyways. Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's been a lot of back and forth. And that's not unusual uh, with a lot of these things, because of course, you know, we still don't know a lot about the exact transmission methodology of the coronavirus. So as we get more information, you know, obviously we do have to go back and be just like, oh, okay, actually this thing with the mask, yeah, we should be doing that. Or maybe again, you know, <laughs> in a couple of weeks, okay, actually it turns out they don't really do that much after all, who knows? Um, our information changes, the advice changes over time. That's not unusual, but it certainly has caused some consternation for people. But then equally, you know, especially now as we get into the discussion of, of reopening, uh, of, you know, uh, allowing some businesses in places to resume or allow people to gather in slightly larger groups, um, I think in Alberta, the, the maximum number on outdoor gatherings has been increased back to 50. It was down at 15 for a while. You get some people who are like, oh good, it's about time. You get other people who are like, no, it's too early. Like you're literally killing people. And that's what struck me about the talk that sister gave about St. Catherine was that, you know, both of those approaches, oh my God, like it's about time. Like we should have done this a month ago in response to say reopening versus, you know, the other side of that, which is like, oh my gosh, this is literally human sacrifice. You, you are killing people directly by allowing them to go back to restaurants. The, the, the way that this is being talked about is just absurd to my mind. At any rate, it's, it's vitriolic, it's angry, and it doesn't really, it lacks humility. It really does. 
So let's come back to St. Catherine for a minute, because, you know, again, this is a lady who, you know, nobody's special, just a French peasant girl, basically. Um, not a nun, not a, not anybody, just a girl. In 1376, writing to the Pope, you know, significant religious political authority in her day, asking him to address issues in the church. And she was listened to. Now, how did she do that? Well, I'll include a link to her letter, and you can read it for yourself, but there's a few things that'll jump out at you if you go through it. One, she's never accusational throughout the entire letter. She's never pointing a finger at anybody. She's never accusing, you know, that that is not in her approach. Contrast that with, you know, the, <laughs> the uh, what was that, the Atlantic, I think, had the headline about Georgia's great experiment in human sacrifice when they started to reopen things. Uh, in that state. Um, the other thing that Catherine did in her letter was she was always encouraging righteousness and holiness. So she was never accusational, but she would then also encourage people to consider what was the righteous action, the holy action, the good action, and to pursue that. And in so doing, she also made sure that she practiced what she was encouraging others to do. Her own life was very much, you know, that good and righteous and holiness, at least, you know, to the ability of her, to, to the limits of her abilities to be and practice those things, she did those things. And perhaps key to her approach was respectfulness. So, you know, she wasn't, she didn't write to the Holy Father and say, you know, how dare you, you are literally allowing, you know, whatever, like you are a bought and paid for crony of the king, blood is on your hands, none, none of that, that was not in her language. She was respectful, you know, the, the letter is prefaced even with, you know, sort of a deferential, uh, forgive my presumption, you know, like she, she understands that she's speaking to someone who does have an immense amount of political and practical authority in the world at the time that she wrote this letter. And she's respectful of the man, of the office. But she also addresses his humanity. She talks about the hurt that he must have felt. She underscores that, you know, she's not trying to point her fingers at him, but that she was grieving along with him in seeing the ruin that had befallen the church in their day. She says, let my love and grief for God's honor and the advancement of the Holy Church be my excuse in the presence of your kindness. And then she called on him to aim higher, essentially. She encouraged him by quoting scripture. She encouraged him with reason and with truth. And she encouraged him, not even challenged him, just encouraged him, the Pope, to rise up into the role that he had been placed in, that he had been chosen for. She uses terms like, you know, shepherd and all of these proper titles for the papal office. And I think that, more than anything, that sort of approach that she takes with the Pope is where I think we, in how we discourse with others during this time, especially if we're going to be encouraging others to change their behavior, I think we really need to, you know, th take some of Catherine's example here. Because we really do need to strive to be 
respectful of others. So no, we can't just roll our eyes and be just like, oh my gosh, it's about time they reopened the golf courses. Nor can we be just like, yeah, you can't reopen the golf courses. You're literally killing people. That's neither of those things is respectful. Nor do they really address the humanity of everybody involved. And that, I think, is kind of the big problem that we have with a lot of our social discourse today, is that we almost fail, we really do fail, to treat the other side of this discourse as even being human. You know, we do our best to to vilify and to make monsters out of the people that disagree with us politically, religiously, whatever. Um, As opposed to, you know, trying to meet them and not not in a way that you know endorses their viewpoints if we genuinely do disagree with them not in a way that uh that suggests that our own views are you know uh on the table and and up for negotiation nothing like that but still like you know just understanding the other person as a person who has their own worries and hopes and fears and joys and why the current situation and how the current situation may be impacting those hopes and dreams and fears and joys. And then ultimately, you know, we should challenge people, not challenge, challenge is the wrong word, but we should call on them to, you know, just to to aim for that higher ideal. And at least for those of us who do as much, um, prayer, always, always with prayer. It's probably, I would guess, cathartic to be able to go onto Facebook or Twitter or wherever and be, in our minds at least, righteously angry with other people, you know, that lady at the store who wasn't wearing a mask, for example, or that uh, guy at the gas pump who was touching the buttons with his bare fingers, right? It's easy to maybe be angry with these people and to, you know, spit a little bit of condemnation their way. But that's not what changes hearts. That's not what changes minds. And that's not what prompts people like that to rethink their actions. It's the same in the other way too. You know, if we think that, uh, you know, it's, if we think that it's absurd that, you know, police are, are, are ticketing people who are trying to feed the homeless, well, vilifying the officers is not going to change that policy. Vilifying the civic or provincial or state or national governments whose policies those officers are attempting to enforce, however bluntly, is not how you're going to get those things changed either, right? Change is also not going to happen immediately. So, I guess following up on the episode from last week, you know, absolutely learn to do what is necessary for the times that we find ourselves in and encourage others to do the same. But there's a right way to do that. And there's a wrong way to do that. And I think we can look to people like Catherine of Siena and the approach they took, not accusational, always respectful, encouraging people to aim for those higher ideals, meeting them in their humanity, that, that's how we can encourage each other to do what is necessary to battle the virus, to help the economy recover, all of those things. 
we can we can be enemies about it or we can work together on it i think it should be clear hearing that which is the better way and i hope i hope that all of us will choose that better way as we go forward into whatever the rest of 2020 holds as economies reopen whether there's a second wave of the virus all of that stuff all right that is all i have for you this week thank you again for listening and until next time be prepared <laughs>